I want to remind anyone, if you have your phone in your pocket, make sure you silence that before we get going. Um, let me ask you guys a few questions. Why are we taking all this time? We're on week 35. Why are we taking all this time to go through the book of Revelation? What are we hoping to learn when we take all this time to study it so closely and in depth, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse? Should we be treating it as some sort of a manual for end times? Things to watch for so we know if the return of Jesus is close? Let me ask you a question. Over the course, just in your lifetime, I'm not even talking about church history, just in your lifetime, how many predictions from well-meaning people about the return of Jesus based upon their interpretation of Revelation have been true? What percentage? Well, not zero, because some are in the future and we don't know those yet. But like, so far, they're like zero out of a million. It's true, though, that Revelation does reveal beautiful and inspiring truths about the return of Jesus. But the purpose of Revelation, you can't read it with this, the purpose of Revelation is not to help us predict it. In fact, Jesus himself warned us about the folly of trying to predict his return. He said, no one knows the day or the hour except the Father. So if predicting when Jesus will return is not our motivation to study Revelation, then what should be? Well, in chapter 1, we're we're lucky because the Spirit revealed to John in chapter 1 what it is. The Spirit revealed that those who read the book of Revelation will be blessed. And what that word blessed means, it means encouraged. And we see later on what that encouragement means is it is inspiration to endure, to press on through this time that we call this tribulation. See, Revelation should be seen as a powerful inspirational devotional guide that fills in the gaps of what it is we're waiting and hoping for. So Revelation should inspire us to endure this fallen world. I mean, Paul himself says, does he not, that creation is groaning for redemption. And we're going to see that take place over chapters 16, 17, and 18, how what the earth is groaning for, it is finally granted. But Revelation, really what it's teaching us all throughout this study, it's teaching us how to live with the joy of anticipation so that we with joy and confidence can worship and follow Jesus while we wait on him. With that in mind, we're going to go through Revelation chapter 15. I've titled the sermon this week, A Song of Anticipation. This is chapter 15. We're going to go through the whole chapter. It's only like eight or nine verses. So let me just read it for you. I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, with seven angels, with seven plagues. The last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. They sing the song of Moses the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And after this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. Out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls 
full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Well, now that none of you have any questions, let's just close in prayer and go home. (laughs) So it's important, as you guys know, if we're going to study Revelation, we have to look at it first historically. And what does the Old Testament inform us about what it's saying? called this section the Exodus story. So like just with the seven trumpets, if you guys remember back several weeks ago, we were studying the seven trumpets of judgment. Those were partial judgments. John's audience would immediately connect chapter 15 with the beautiful story of Exodus. And this beautiful story, Exodus, is a story of redemption. If you just remember, for those of you that aren't familiar, after 600 years of slavery in Egypt, God sent Moses to command Pharaoh to let his people go. But Pharaoh knew a significant portion of Egypt's economy depended upon Jewish slave labor. So he scoffed at this command. There's no way I'm going to let the people of God go. I need them for my prosperity. So what did God do? God sent 10 separate plagues to force Pharaoh to be obedient. And finally, after the immense pressure of these plagues, Pharaoh relents. But Pharaoh didn't relent, really, did he? Incredibly, after all of this, after God has shown his power, after God has shown his ability to judge, after all of this, Pharaoh changes his mind and he chases the nation of Israel with what he has assembled as the most lethal army up to that point in human history. So with the Egyptian army in hot pursuit of the nation of Israel, Israel comes to the shore of the Red Sea, and now they're trapped between an ocean and this army. And there, at that moment, on that shore, at Israel's darkest hour, God performs the greatest natural miracle in the Old Testament, and he parts the Red Sea. The nation of Israel walks across And as soon as the last Jew crosses the Red Sea, a great wall of water collapses in on the Egyptian pursuing army. It's a colossal, violent wall, a torrent of water on both sides, drowning and destroying Pharaoh's army. It is absolute, complete destruction. Then after that, you can imagine the moment that this flood of gratitude and awe comes across the people of God and the love the nation, of, the nation of Israel has for Jehovah. And in Exodus 15, the scripture says, Moses leads the entire nation in a massive worship celebration of this incredible redemptive act. And it is a song that Moses writes about what God has done. And it came to be known in Jewish culture to this day as the Song of Moses. And we just read it. I believe personally what we just read this morning. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O Lord. You are the King. I believe it is the ultimate human expression of praise for the redemptive power of God ever written in human history. I believe it is the greatest worship song in human history. Jews still sting it today in community with one another, and many times so do we. And then we see another part of this story in Exodus that's in this chapter where God fills the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 40, verses uh, 34 and 35, here's what happens. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. 
And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. Doesn't it sound just like what we read in Revelation? It's lifted directly from the book of Exodus. So you can see you clearly cannot interpret Revelation without your Old Testament right beside it. See, leading Israel out of Egypt was not the only miracle of that day. In Exodus 40, God commands Moses and gives him detailed instructions of how to build a new structure, a structure that God intends to fill with his presence. Why? So that he could live in and among his people, a place where a righteous and holy God could reside. And it was a beautiful, elaborate, mobile temple. It was, in fact, a prototype temple until a permanent temple could be built much later. And then God's glory comes down and fills this temple while they're singing the song of Moses. Great and marvelous are your works. Just and true are your ways, O Lord. The Spirit of God comes down and fills this tabernacle, this tent of meeting. And the smoke is so thick, no one can enter. And God is right there. That's the history. You can understand why John's Jewish first century readers would go right to Exodus when they read this language, correct? Look at this theological part of our passage. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've entitled this a new exodus. Again, we can't interpret this symbolism of this passage from an American Christian perspective. That's a mistake. We can't interpret Revelation using today's headlines. That is also a mistake. Understanding the purpose of this passage requires us to read it through the lens of first century Jewish believers. And John uses all these rich and powerful symbolisms from Exodus that would immediately take his audience back to Exodus chapter 1 through Exodus 40. And let's explore some of these symbols and how they relate to us today. The first symbol we see are these seven plagues and these bowls. We see the seven angels from heaven with the seven bowls of judgment, and they're ready to pour them out over the earth. And we're going to listen. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on these plagues today. Okay, you're lucky. (laughs) But next week and the few weeks after, we're going to look at them. And I think there's some fascinating, encouraging things. Yes, I said it. Encouraging things about them. But clearly we can see the mention of plagues is directly connected to the Exodus story. When God used plagues to rescue Israel from Pharaoh and carry them into the wilderness for safety from Pharaoh until the promised land was ready to receive them. Just as God used the plagues in Egypt, those plagues did not impact the children of God, did they? Only the Egyptians. In the same way, these bowls of judgment aren't going to touch us, the redeemed. Those who have been marked by the Holy Spirit and given to Jesus, that is us, the church. These bowls of judgment are not for us. You know what this does? I don't know if you guys remember, but this... This beautifully connects back to Revelation chapter 12. Do you remember what happened there? One of those symbolic histories where the woman who gives birth to the child and the woman represents the first century church is taken into the wilderness and rescued from the dragon. Do you remember that? That's exactly the same picture that we see with the nation of Israel into the wilderness. But a lot of people don't realize that Exodus has two exiting stages. The first one is from Egypt into the wilderness, right? And then 40 years later, from the wilderness into the promised land. So they exit Egypt, and then they exit the wilderness. And just as God used the plagues in Exodus to lead his people out of Egypt 
into the wilderness for safekeeping, God will use these plagues in the future to lead us out of the wilderness we are in right now, the one we are surviving in since the resurrection of Jesus, what John calls the tribulation that we are all partners in. These seven plagues are God's final, complete judgments, and they will purge the earth of all wickedness and all evil, and they will renew all creation, not just spiritually, but physically as well. Then once these judgments are done and the earth is renewed, Jesus will lead us into our promised land. And then we see this beautiful sea of glass. This is another Exodus symbol. People don't realize it. You know, throughout the Old Testament, I've taught you guys this before, being swallowed up by the ocean is a metaphor for shocking, catastrophic defeat. Remember, God destroyed Pharaoh's army in the Exodus story. God swallowed them up with the Red Sea. And we learn how in Jewish culture, the sea was always seen as a place of horror, as a place of danger, as a place of the unknown, as a place of judgment. And here, the symbolism is reversed. So through Hebrew literature, we see this metaphor of danger. And John describes, if you guys remember when John was describing the first beast, where did the first beast rise out of? The ocean, the sea. But here... The sea is described as glass, symbolizing a place of safety and peace and comfort with no worries and no danger. This is, by the way, if you remember, the second time in Revelation we've seen a mention of this sea of glass. That means we probably ought to pay attention to it because John is teaching us something. The first time we saw the sea of glass was also surrounded by the redeemed around the throne of God singing a song of redemption. Do you guys remember, by the way, what Jesus did with his disciples on a boat during a storm? Do you guys remember that? What did he do? He calmed the sea from a place of judgment into one of peace. See, once evil is purged from all creation, this sea of glass is a symbolism of a beautiful place where we all gather to worship our Jesus. And then we see this beautiful song of the redeemed. <clears throat> This is the part of the sermon that I'm the most excited about. This is a future scene of the complete church. All those whom God has saved throughout the history of redemption in the Old Testament and the New. It includes everyone who has resisted the lies of the second beast who is trying to convince everyone to worship the things of this world. It's everyone throughout redemptive history who remained faithful in their profession, those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And now we all of us together have been given this incredible front row seat to God's final act of redemption. It is the entire church, what I have called many times the church in victory. It is the song of Moses. And if you'll allow me to let me explain it to you this way the song of Moses is kind of like a spiritual fight song, like colleges might sing before a big game. That's what we're singing. The final battle is here. And songs like this were extremely important in ancient cultures. It's how people rallied their spirits together under one cause. We will be there. And we will know that when the angels come out of the temple with these seven bowls, that they are about to do what? Restore creation. Restore the earth and prepare it to be filled with the presence of God.
We'll know soon that we're going to be exiting the wilderness and enter into the promised land and rule with Jesus forever. And that's why I say that we are waiting on this temple. Look at this verse in John chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Look what Jesus said. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. What Jesus was saying was, through me, you can go into the presence of God, come out of the presence of God, and find rest and peace. What he's saying is, when you come through me, I am the door. When you come through me, God is no longer someone you have to fear, but someone you can be relaxed around. So next we see this symbolism. John describes there's a temple that's opened in heaven and filled with God's presence. This is another direct connection to Exodus. I'll show you in a moment. So here's what's going on for us. Anticipation grows. Excitement is building. The judgment of evil is at hand. This church is what the redeemed have always been waiting and longing for. The temple in heaven opens, John says, and it is filled with smoke of God's presence so thick no one can enter. You know why? We have to wait. We are waiting for all seven bowls of judgment to be poured out. All evil will be purged from creation. The open temple, then what the scripture says later on, we'll find in Revelation chapter 19 and 20 and 21, that temple in heaven, the one that is opened in heaven and pours out the judgment, what does it do? It descends. And that open temple becomes the whole earth. The whole earth becomes this tabernacle, this meeting tent where we are with God every day and come in and out and find pasture. God will fill it and God will live among his people. We'll go in and out and find rest. There's no fear. There's no judgment. There's no religious burden. Amen. But complete peace and rest. Okay, that's the theology. What about the personal section? What are we supposed to do with all this? This is the fun part. At least I think it's fun. I've entitled this section, The Joy of Anticipation. This was my sermon preview this week on social media. We don't read Revelation so we can predict the future, but to discover all the reasons we worship and follow Jesus as we wait for his return. Church, man, I, I don't know about you, but as I've gone through this study of Revelation, something has happened in my heart and mind. I hope it's happened for you. I am in such full anticipation for this day. I mean, I used to always say, yeah, I want Jesus to return, but now I really do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It has become the lens with which I see this whole world. And listen, we can't comprehend the fullness of it now, but one day we will have this front row seat for this final act of redemption. This is all the redeemed. Those who have died and those whom Jesus collects on that first harvest that we read about last week on the day that he returns. This is every one of us. Everyone who ever was, is, and will become a part of the family of God. It's his holy nation of royal priests. <clears throat> it is the church in victory. Preparing to watch our Jesus purge the earth of all evil and renew it as our eternal home. It is the greatest, this moment right here. I mean, we try to have good worship services throughout you know, the world each Sunday and every Sabbath, but this right here that we're reading about is the greatest 
worship experience in human history. And it takes place right before final judgment. And you, if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him and his work on the cross and his resurrection, you will be among that great multitude singing the song of Moses. So this truth is very relevant to you, Christian. It is the moment, this moment, that we should be living for. It is the moment that our whole lives should be centered around being at one day. We should always be in preparation for this. That moment that the heavenly temple opens up and God begins the final acts of redemption and then that heavenly temple descends and God's presence fills the earth and we are with him forever. And when that day happens, when that day happens, we will, as the redeemed, in full force, sing the song of Moses with all the rest of them. That's why for us, understand something, that's why for us preaching about the day of judgment isn't ominous, it's not scary, it's exciting, it's exhilarating, it's inspiring. And we will witness firsthand the removal of the very last barrier between the Father and us, his chosen, the thing that's keeping us from living together with him in peace. And that is the wickedness that has corrupted this entire creation. Look at the song of Moses. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord. God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Grace Life family, this should always be our primary inspiration when we gather together to worship. Now listen to me. Doesn't mean we can't love the music our worship team plays. Of course we can. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the worship music here on Sundays. But liking the music is not our primary inspiration for gathering. And when we worship, it's not just because we have gratitude that Jesus has redeemed us and transformed us and made us new creations. Yes, we sing about that too and we are thankful, but our inspiration for worship isn't limited to just what he did for us. That's kind of narcissistic, isn't it? It's what he's going to do for the whole earth. It goes much further than just you. The reason Israel sang the song of Moses the reason we can sing it now, the reason the church in heaven will sing it later is the stunning, amazing, redemptive work of Jesus and God's future judgment of the wicked. So this verse has come up. I've probably put this verse on the screen for you. Probably I counted like 13 times since the series started and I didn't realize it till this week. I said, holy cow, I keep putting this verse up. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. See, part of what Revelation does, it's trying, to, it's trying to help us break our addiction to earthly cities and everything the earth represents that is temporary. Look, we are in the wilderness right now. We are protected from the dragon and his two beasts by the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. 
But life is hard here. Let's be honest. The sea is still stormy. And that city that we seek, I'm just going to be real with you, especially for me the last couple months, that city we seek just feels so far away sometimes, doesn't it? But this passage is teaching us we don't have to be discouraged. We don't need to be obsessed with trying to make this wilderness work for us. The Spirit has given us this revelation so that we know how to live in the world with the full joy, peace, comfort, and anticipation of that day. Church, chapter 15 is teaching us to live with anticipation of the great and marvelous things he has done, he is doing, and he will do. We know once the bowls of judgment purge the earth of evil, we will exit this wilderness and live forever in the tabernacle of the new heaven and a new earth with our heavenly father. Amen. Amen. We anticipate that day that we will sing this song of Moses with all the rest of his redeemed from every tribe, every race, and every nation all together singing all at once. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. Just and true are your ways. Who cannot fear you? Who won't glorify your name? We anticipate our excitement for what, will we, what we will witness Jesus do on that day. And you know what we can do? We can start to worship him now for it beforehand. We anticipate singing the song of Moses with all the redeemed as we watch Jesus transform this world into a new creation, a new worldwide tabernacle filled with perfection, righteousness, blessing, and joy. And when we read Revelation, we anticipate what it will be like in the very presence of God. But for now, (laughs) sorry to be a damper, for now... The closest you can get to that is when we gather together each week as a family to worship our Jesus. Why would you even think about not being with God's people? Why would you not think about reading his word in community to learn how he will return and establish his kingdom forever and give you the anticipation, the joy, the expectation you need to make it through the wilderness? You want to start living in the reality of that anticipation? Today, this would be a good New Year's Eve resolution. Or New Year, and don't start it tomorrow. Start it now, okay? <laughs> How about we do this? How about we start living in anticipation of being together each week to enjoy this mini preview version of that day we just read about this morning? Let's live together as people of hope and people of anticipation with nothing to fear and everything to gain when that day comes. Dear Jesus, we are so ready. (laughs) But we know you've called us to do some work. You've called us to proclaim the message. You've called us to the royal priesthood of proclamation, integrity, and industry. But Lord, we do admit sometimes it gets really hard in this wilderness. That's why you give us chapter 15 so that we can have anticipation of what is to come so we can endure faithfully. 
Lord, as we start a new year, we always have these expectations that things might be better. Oftentimes they may not be. But no matter what this wilderness brings us, we anticipate the day where we get a first row seat of watching you take care of all of it. And Lord, we we admit that we are a little homesick. We wish we could just be in your presence now with no barriers. But you have given us the gift of your people gathering together. Lord, keep us from being like those who forsake the gathering, as Paul said, but that we would make this a priority so that we can each week have a mini preview of what will be the greatest moment of our lives. We ask for this for this reminder to be fresh in our hearts and minds, no matter what the wilderness may bring in 2023. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Church, we love you. Have a great week. See you next week.